LGBTQIA+. As a society, we've learnt a lot about each of those letters over the past few decades. What I don't think we've learnt much about is the symbol at the end, plus. It almost seems like an afterthought. A catch-all clause to inoculate against exclusivity. But that plus is doing a lot of work. In this episode of Think Digital Futures, we're going to explore some emerging sexual identities. Technosexuality. Digisexuality. Idolatry. And robophilia. How do people react when you tell them what you do? Like if you go out to dinner and you're meeting, oh, this is my friend Belinda. (laughs) Oh, Belinda, what do you do? Oh, I research sex robots. You what? (laughs) People think it's a piss take (laughs) rather than a legitimate form of academic research. So it takes some convincing to persuade people that it is a legitimate object of inquiry and, and worthy of study. I think a lot of people are interested in it and a lot of people have so many questions about what is a sex robot and um, how do they work and who would be interested in a sex robot, have you ever seen a sex robot, all those kinds of questions. How are people, are they usually pretty receptive to the idea that this stuff is out there or what's the feeling you get from society? The feeling I get is a lot of head shaking, misunderstanding, incredulity, not really wanting to accept that it might be a legitimate way for people to form a connection. So it's, yeah, I think there are a lot of misconceptions out there. I'll get you to say your name and title. Sure. I'm Dr. Belinda Middlewick, and I'm a senior lecturer in journalism at the School of Communication at UTS. What I find really interesting and what all of my research pivots on is this investigation of how we put the human into the technologies that we use to communicate. We express ourselves through technology and the questions that arise from those relationships, those interactions that we form with technology, whether it be something as Uh, maybe mundane or innocuous as naming your laptop or whether it's an edge case like sex robots is really what what fascinates me if sex robots could ever have the intelligence of a human and what does that mean because they're embodied figures they look like us they sound like us they make appropriate responses what does it mean does it change sex love and intimacy as we know it and might there be some benefit to that might it open up new forms of sexuality like digisexuality other forms of pansexuality technosexuality or might it be problematic you know, might it spell, as some have opined, the end of intimacy itself as we know it? How did you come to do this particular project where you got on a sex doll forum and started interviewing and reading about and trying to understand these guys who were talking about their sex dolls and the release of these new sex robots and stuff? I thought the best place to start would be looking at online fora, so discussion fora. And the biggest online discussion forum for 
people, and I must say they're mainly men, who either own or aspire to own a love doll is called the Doll Forum. And it's a forum of, at last count, 50,000 people. And it's been around for about 20 years or so, so quite a long time. And in the Doll Forum, mainly men storyboard their doll lives. That's what they call them. Hey, gents, I am curious to know about the love that I hear many doll owners have for their dolls. I have two dolls. I have unique feelings for each one. What feelings do you have for your dolls? Is love the right word? Mine serve all of my needs both physically and emotionally, so I'm definitely pretty happy with them. So they have these wonderful conversations with one another about their dolls, about the dates that they've been on with their dolls, the picnics that they've had. Now it's picnic time with Zef. I put together a plate of food with grocery and garden items. The sandwich wrap and grapes are store-bought. The salad is of kale and peppers which I grew in my own garden. They take photographs of their dolls dressed up in certain outfits. Wait, they go outside into the park with their dolls? Uh, yeah, yeah, in some cases they do, yeah. And they have what are called doll meets where they meet up, like a conference if you like, where they meet up with other doll owners and they uh, prop up their dolls, position their dolls in certain outdoor settings and take photographs of the dolls out in nature, you know, on the picnic or doing whatever. Uh, take videos of their interactions with their dolls. They might have point of view conversations with other doll members on the forum taking the perspective of the doll so they talk as if they were the doll my name is Kristen. you gave me my name i remember when i was being made in a factory and at that point i did not have a name my mind was blank my heart was blank because i am just a doll but when you named me my mind began to have thoughts and ideas so you are very special to me The owners have created personalities for the dolls. They're very important, in many cases, very important part of their lives. Do you get the sense that they engage in anthropomorphism to the point of magical thinking, where some of these men start to really think that these dolls are alive? Yeah, there was evidence of that. I did see that in in my analysis of the discussion threads uh, that the dolls were bestowed very lifelike and human characteristics. They had feelings and even to the extent that some of the doll owners would take the perspective of the doll in their interactions with other members of the site. So talking as if they were the doll to other men who were also talking as if they were the doll. And so the two dolls really the two male owners would be talking to one another about their own owners. I mean, going out on dates with the doll, going out for dinner with the doll and photographic evidence of doll dates. Whether you term it magical thinking, I'm not sure. Not a psychologist, but it uh, is a fascinating area of research. I then started interviewing men who had love dolls and sometimes multiple love dolls, sometimes just one love doll. And they were fascinating, wonderful, interesting men who were so candid and frank with me about their dolls and the different reasons why they 
purchased a doll, why they have a doll. And there are multifaceted reasons too. I think it's very simplistic to think that, which is why I think it's important to change it to love dolls rather than sex dolls, because it's not always about sex. And that's the key thing. As we worked out our new life together of music, road trips, and other antics on the forum and at home, Cheryl put a challenge to me. If you've lost the will to live for yourself, can you at least live for me? I'd like to think I've done her proud. Nearly five years on and we're still here. What I anticipated finding was a community of misogynistic men. And I'm not going to lie, particularly because my feminist sensibility was triggered when I was reading through some of the posts. And I did see some misogynistic talk coming from some posters. But by and large, the community spoke very endearingly and lovingly about their love dolls and were very respectful in many cases. I read that one of the guys, the idolaters, as some of them call themselves, said that idolaters were into Pygmalionism, the story of Pygmalion, who I'm probably going to mess it up, but I think he created his own lover. So he said there, there are Pygmalionists and robot fetishists and they were kind of two distinct groups within the love robot or love doll community that were into different things had different mindsets so yeah the pygmalionists are creating a kind of persona to create the face and the hair and the personality and the online presence and everything right Yeah, that's right. There's certainly a subset of idolaters, men who love dolls who are trying to fashion the perfect woman, you know, trying to create a representation of a woman who ticks all the boxes, who you'd swipe right for every single time. But they aren't representative of the entire community. And I I think that's what needs to be underscored is that there is such complexity in the love doll community that we, yes, we have the Pygmalionists, so they might be called, but we also have the fetishists, those seeking companionship, those seeking partnership, and of course, those seeking sexual gratifications. There were some really heartfelt descriptions from other men in amongst the bravado and the misogyny, really heartfelt descriptions from men who were grieving the loss of a partner and saying, I just want a love doll or I'm just interested in sex robot technology because I don't want to replace the amazing partner that I had and have now lost. My wife of 31 years passed away Tuesday. Heart attack while sleeping, shortly after I left for work that morning. I wish I had kissed her before I left. And it was almost to the point that you got a tear in your eye because you could see that these love dolls serve a really important function. I mean, also for those who suffer from psychosexual dysfunction, men who mightn't be able to have their sexual needs met with a human or or a male-female partner. My wife is a career girl with a demanding job and also has a medical condition that means penetrative sex is pretty much off the table 90% of the time. She knows about my doll. I've been coming to terms with our diminishing sex life and becoming more comfortable with my doll. These love dolls serve a really important outlet. 
But the biggest finding from my research has been seeing the way in which the men interacted with one another through the love dolls. So the love dolls became a medium of communication, if you like. So a lot of the men, a key motivation for them being on the doll forum site was to interact with other men through the medium of the doll. And I found in that respect a male homosocial community. These dolls are providing a way for men to bond with one another and in really healthy and life-affirming ways. So I've been reading your research and the other material around this, and I guess the way my mind has changed around these men is that I initially saw it as more sexual, of course, (laughs) and I'm sure most people do, and... Now I see it more as social learning, in a sense, like that these men are perhaps, and I mean, this is, I guess, a hypothesis, that these men are perhaps socially, have a hard time socially in some sense, probably not all of them, but perhaps to a higher degree, and that these dolls perhaps offer a way for them to play socially and to enact empathy and theory of mind and stuff through the dolls and then also allow them to talk to these other men who are on in perhaps a similar space to them and socialize with them as well in a pretty low risk setting I guess and with common interests and that sort of stuff do you think there's anything to that? Absolutely. That's a really important insight. And it, 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 exactly that. It provides them with a safe space to be able to talk about their sexual preferences, which they would otherwise in mainstream society likely be maligned for or marginalised for. So say 90, roughly 90% are men. And some of the reasons why they would purchase a love doll, obviously there's the, the sexual gratification, but then there are also companionship and partnership. So how Having someone there who isn't making any demands on them. I know a lot of the men that I interviewed had been in complex and difficult relationships, had gone through divorces, upsetting marriage breakdowns, had lost a spouse be through death, you know, bereavement. So this was a way for them to not feel as if they were cheating on the partner that they'd lost or getting involved in another significant relationship when they didn't feel ready to. There are also the fetishists who have a particular interest in dolls. And then there are also the collectors, the hobbyists, who see the doll as something that would be worthy of hanging up on the wall as a piece of art. As um, the site moderator told me, it's a wonderfully diverse community just like society itself. And I think that's such a beautiful quote. It is reflective of the richness in society and we really can't just say that it's all about sexual gratification because it's not. Another thing I th- that I came to find interesting was, okay, at first glance, you go, well, of course, it's men, it's about sexual gratification, and we associate that with men. But you look at sex toys and things, and we don't think that that's just a male market, right? I think that there's a pretty diverse market for sex toys. Through that lens, it's unusual, perhaps, that it's 90% 
roughly men. Do you have an opinion on why there are so many men? Interestingly enough, which may be a partial answer, during the lockdowns, there are a number of sex doll manufacturers, companies in Australia, they found a massive increase in the number of women who were purchasing love dolls and also couples who were purchasing love dolls either for their partner or to incorporate into their own intimate lives in some way. So I think that the trend is starting to change. We don't have the solid stats other than what company manufacturers are telling us. We can trace the history of sexual stimulants, sexual aids, well, at least 28,000 years, which is such a long time. So in 2005, there were some German archaeologists who were excavating a cave in the Swabian Alps, and they found what they argued was the world's oldest dildo. And it was a very small little kind of stone, highly polished stone artefact. But it just goes to show that humans have been using sexual stimulants for a very long time, sexual aids. And arguably, we can say that sex robots are just a more advanced form of that. Although they're commercially available, they're very hard to get. They're very expensive, you know, between eight and $12,000 for a sex robot. It's not like there's been mass market release of sex robots. Certainly it's very easy to buy a love doll. Sex robots are a different matter. In fact, when I was doing the research, they were beta testing Harmony. So there's still a a lot of work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. in that area. And the sex robots themselves, even though they have AI capabilities, they're very limited. They're very much like a chatbot. M Harmony, the world's first affordable robot with a practical purpose for in-home use or in-bedroom use. Ha ha. Our relationship to dolls is primordial. We play with dolls when we're children. We know that dolls have such a long-standing history. For thousands of years, humans have played with dolls, have fashioned dolls, have played with human simulacra. It's really interesting the proliferation of dolls subcultures on social media. So you have men who post about their collection of Barbie dolls. You have middle-aged women who post about their reborning dolls or their Blythe dolls. And these are dolls that they can create and fashion themselves to look like newborn babies. Uh, You have women who have accounts on Instagram where they try to emulate the look of a life-size Barbie. What is it about our humanness that gets expressed through dolls? Or what is it about dolls that maybe helps us understand ourselves a little bit more? I saw a researcher talking about boys playing with dolls and that at age one or two or something, that both genders, both sexes will play with dolls equally if they're given the opportunity because they like faces, they're attracted to people and they enjoy that. And starting around age three, boys start to reject the dolls and they observed this rejection. They observed how parents and other figures were reacting to these sort of gendered toys being passed around. And they said that the girls are no longer getting gendered approval or disapproval signals from authority figures, but the boys still are. 
So when the boys are handed what's perceived as a girl's toy, there's some kind of signal. Now, we might not even, you know, especially parents who think of themselves as more progressive might not notice it themselves. You know, they might think, well, that's fine with me, but I don't know, perhaps it comes as a giggle or something, you know, and the boys get the message that, oh, this isn't for me. I need to be more like dad or something. And I thought oh, maybe some of these, a lot of these men are finally getting the opportunity to play with dolls and to learn those sort of second person skills, have those kind of tea party conversations that they never got to have as boys. Maybe there's something in that, that when boys grow up and they become men and they still have a, an interest in dolls, whether that be just as a plaything or whether that be a sexual interest in dolls, that they get that opportunity to explore it as grown adults. But still there's that social stigma around it. And I think that's why these online communities and subcultures are so important because they provide the safe space for them to talk to one another about their shared mutual interests. I think we have to have an open mind about the things that people fall in love with. I mean, it, it comes back to this notion of do feelings have to be reciprocated to be legitimate? And in the case of an inanimate object, there's no reciprocity there. But for the person who has bestowed feelings on that object, just because they're not being reciprocated doesn't mean that they're any less real for them. And a really good example of that from Hollywood is the film Lars and the Real Girl. You know, Lars in the film had a really compelling relationship with a love doll that initially his family and friends couldn't understand. But then you know, by the end of the film, spoiler alert, the whole community was co-opted in, into Bianca, into the love doll's life and personality and, and her role in his life, in Lars's life. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll get to a point where there's more social acceptance for people who have relationships with those sorts of objects. I mean, we can turn to another filmic example in Her, the Spike Jonze film Her, where you had a man who falls in love with his operating system, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Why do I love you? I don't have an intellectual reason. I don't need one. I trust myself. I trust my feelings. I'm not going to try to be anything other than who I am anymore, and... I hope you can accept that. There's always that philosophical conversation about, you know, how do you know that other people are conscious anyway? So really love, in a sense, it, it comes from you. There is reciprocation, but the other person experiences that reciprocation. You experience your own version of love. You experience the love that you feel for the other person yourself. And why should that necessarily be any different, I guess, as long as you're still experiencing those feelings? Yeah, then, then why should it be any less real? Do you think they'll have a colour on the pride flag or something one day? <laughs> oh, who knows? Maybe. Maybe. I guess maybe that's what the A plus stands for in LGBTIQA+. You know, the, the plus being all those other parasexualities that in some cases have only just received a name, like digisexuality, like technosexuality, 
There was a researcher named David Levi who predicted that by 2050 we would be marrying robots. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and he thought that would be great. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And look, there have been instances around the world where people have, engineers have created a robot of sorts and have fallen in love with a creation and married in a civil ceremony their creation. Who knows whether we'll be seeing that in the future. In a future of sex robots, let's just speculate, I think it would be important to see lots of different sex robots that didn't necessarily take human form, that may have kind of pointy ears, that may look like something out of The Lord of the Rings or Avatar, if you like. So we see lots of different colours, not just your standard fleshy skin tones, but just really interesting ways of designing sex robots that aren't necessarily all about the human simulacrum. Thank you, Dr. Belinda Middleweek, for speaking with me. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and it's heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. We're in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can listen to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lawrence Bull. Thanks for listening. And I promise you, this is just the beginning. 